From Relay FM, this is the Pen Addict episode 400. And it is our Pen Addict 101 episode. Today's show is brought to you by Warby Parker and ExpressVPN. Here on the Pen Addict, we discuss pens, paper, and the analog tools we love so dearly. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by the knock of all knowledge that is Brad Dowdy. Wow, that was wonderful, Mike. Thank you for doing that. Mm Mm-hmm. Can you believe it's been 400 episodes? I cannot. This is quite a day for us over here as we have <laughs> gone into episode 400. We've been recording this show for just over eight years now. We're going to talk about that over the course of this episode. Now, what we are actually planning on doing today, what this episode is, uh, is with any podcast that has amassed the amount of episodes that we have that actually has lots of information in it. Like it's not just a news podcast, right? You can, you can listen back to this show. You can go back three years and find something that is of interest. For people that are coming into the show that are new listeners, we get asked quite a lot, where should we start? And so we have decided that for episode 400, we're going to give a jumping off point to new people. So hello, if you are new to The Pen Addict. <laughs> uh, this is it. This is indeed, as you have guessed from the name, a podcast all about pens, mostly fountain pens, some other stuff. Um, we're going to talk about exactly all of that throughout this episode. We will also reintroduce ourselves. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Mike Hurley. I am a podcaster. I've been podcasting since 2010. So uh, actually going to be a decade coming up real mm. soon. Yeah. Uh, this podcast is a part of currently uh, the Relay FM Podcast <laughs> Network, which I founded in August 2014, uh, and I've been podcasting uh, full time since November of 2014. And more recently, in 2019, I co-founded a company called Cortex Brand, which produces. And the reason that is uh, of interest to listeners of this show is because we produce products, physical products, like the Theme System Journal. So I am now in the business of making notebooks. Uh, with a purpose. So uh, I'll include some links to those in the show notes. But the most important person here uh, is Brad Dowdy. The, this show is named after Brad Dowdy. It's not called The Brad Dowdy. It's called The Pen Addict. Brad Dowdy is The Pen Addict uh, and has been doing this stuff for a very long time. So Brad Dowdy, please take it away. <laughs> yeah, it has been quite a while, Mike. I started, mm-hmm. for all of our new listeners, I am The Pen Addict. I go online by The Pen Addict pretty much anywhere I can get a hold of that name. And my blog is penaddict.com, which I started all the way back in the year 2007, November 29th, I believe is the exact date. And it has been a wonderful journey that has led into the awesomeness, uh, part of what you hear today in episode 400 of this podcast. I've had various dalliances throughout the years as the pen addict has become more than a blog it has become part of my life and then eventually my job um which you know they never they always say you know never turn your hobby into a job well mike for me they're kind of one in the same and i'm super glad that it's that way you have a jobby like me i i have a jobby so mm-hmm. um part of my my history uh takes me through a little bit of an employment bump in 2011. I worked for a company called Jet Pens. You, if you're new to the show, they're my favorite Japanese pen retailer in the, here in the U.S., which is where I'm based. Mike failed to mention he is in London. We do this uh, podcast via Skype mm-hmm. uh, across many time zones uh, for your listening pleasure. Um, at one point, I worked for Jet Pens when I was doing the blog. And, you know, I still always had a day job, but I did some marketing work for them back in 2011. In 2012, Mike, 
we started this podcast. After a guest episode. So I was doing a podcast which is now uh, defunct called The Enough Podcast with our friend Patrick Roan. And mm-hmm. we had Brad as a guest on that show. And I got on with Brad so well and thought he was so interesting and such a great explainer. Um, I was like, I want to record that show with that guy. I want to make a show with him about pens because mm-hmm. I've, you know, we've both been interested in pens and paper for a long time. Brad kept that interest up uh, longer than I did and kind of with more passion than I did, but I wanted to get back into it and thought that Brad would be the perfect person to host a show with. And so uh asked him and then convinced him over time. Yeah, so you asked me and I told you no. Yep, he's like, no one would listen to that. <laughs> no one will listen to this. And then uh, Mike, Mike saw something there and he kept pressing me and twisted my arm enough to where I said, okay, let's give this a shot. I think it took about a year, I think, to convince you. Yeah, I'm not sure that long, but yeah, it, it, I think it took a while. And then once you finally convinced me, I figured we had about 10 episodes in us, like... And then we'd be done. There, that would be all the pen stuff we could talk about, right? Mm-hmm. Who knew? Mm-hmm. Who knew what we were actually getting into at the time? So um, it's been an awesome run. And there were some other highlights during this time. I started a company with my friend Jeff Brookwicky called Knock. We make pen cases. And we went through a Kickstarter project that we discussed many times throughout the pen addict's history. And then kind of the big turning point for me personally and professionally in 2016, January 1st, I quit my day job to do the pen addict and all the other work I do related to the pen addict full time. So that was a big deal. And we'll have a few links in the show notes to to some of these historical landmark um, times during of our uh, of our podcasting and our existence at least on the stationary internet. Mm -hmm. And then most recently, I've partnered with another friend, Brian Conti, to launch a product called Spoke Pen, which we did just last year. So in the 12 years since I've started The Pen Addict, I have done lots of things, and I'm just passionate about pens and stationery and all the things that go along with it. And I think it's shown. I think it's worked out, Mike. What do you think? You would like to think so. Yeah. Because we're still here. We're still here, and we're still getting new listeners all of the time, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why we want to do this episode, to give you a little bit of history, give you a little background about who we are, uh, what we do. And we're going to you know, continue on with that uh, today and giving you kind of the 101 breakdown of a few of the things that um, we have discussed over these 400 episodes, like yep. the podcast history, Mike. Yeah. Why don't, why don't you help me out with this this section? Our, our podcast history is is generally compact, but it has some good stories contained within, right? Yeah. So the Pen Addict has long surpassed any other project that I've done. Uh, this uh, I often say this, but my relationship with Brad is one of the longest relationships of my life outside of family. Uh, because we've been working together <laughs> for longer than I've known my wife. We have been lo- working together for longer than any of my other working relationships. Um, this is the only podcast that I am doing that I have been doing since basically the beginning of my career. Um, we started on a network that I created in like 2011 called 70 Decibels. That was where the podcast began. 
Um, we then moved the podcast to 5 by 5 when we started working there. And then when uh, me and Stephen Hackett, my co-founder, decided to create our own company, Relay FM, it moved again. So it's moved three times. So if you go, if you are going back through the course of history of this show, you will hear references to companies <laughs> that either don't <laughs> exist anymore or that uh, this podcast is not a part of anymore. But that kind of explains its life. Uh, one, there's a couple of uh, interesting moments in the show's history, which are just good for posterity's sake. Uh, in August 2012, Brad decided to take a break from the show and from everything. You took a break from The Pen Addict completely because you were going through, I believe, a pretty difficult time in your working career. Mm-hmm. Um, and we weren't sure. The, the kind of at the time, we said like the show is done, but not over, you know? Um, we weren't sure what was going to happen. And then Brad returned in November of that year, <laughs> which is always funny to me that it was only like four months or something, because mm-hmm. it feels like when I think back that it was a very long time, but it wasn't yeah. actually that long. Yeah. Number one, just the time that it happened seems like forever ago, which I guess in the internet, internet timing, I guess, you know, eight years ago is, is forever ago, but it was definitely weird. I went back and listened to that entire episode oh. this weekend as I was preparing for this show. And, you know, I could definitely hear it in my voice. And I think at the time, I don't know if you thought I was ever coming back. I didn't know if I was coming back. I had stopped, basically stopped writing the blog. Um, It, it became, you know, too much work with the mix of real work you know, my day job and life and all these things, it just, it just became too much at the time. So I just, I, I'm not a person that can do less. I'll either do it all or I'll do nothing. So I had to turn it off completely essentially during that time. And that's when I figured out that I really love doing it and I miss the pen addict and I miss writing and I miss the podcast at the time, even though we were only 28 episodes into it. It's just um, also so wild to consider that it was so early on in the, in the yeah. show's life. It could have ended right there. Mm-hmm. Like, could you imagine? Like, I, I don't, I don't like to think about it in that, in those terms. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, luckily I, am built for this. Like I'm built to love stationary and talk about it. Like that's what I want to do. So it was an easy choice. Once I had a little bit of a break, came back and we've been flying ever since I'd say, wouldn't you say? I would. Uh, one of the important things in this show's history is our Kickstarter campaigns. So we had a wild idea, uh, as we were approaching <laughs> episode 150 of the show back in 2015, that me and Brad, you know, we were becoming increasingly, increasingly saddened by the fact that we had never met in person. Yeah. Um, because at that point, like we, I was traveling to lots of conferences and stuff, but they were never things that Brad was attending. They were more technology focused because my other podcasts that I do are more technology focused. So all the way back then, we decided for episode 150 that we would get together at the Atlanta Pen Show, which is Brad's home pen show, and we would record an episode of the show in person. And the Kickstarter campaign was an incredible success. We funded very quickly. Um, there are many episodes, basically every time there's a Kickstarter, you'll get me and Brad crying on the show. This very <laughs> possible we'll cry before the end of the episode today because that's just what we do. Um, and then the Kickstarter campaigns have continued to be a thing that we do every single year. We're approaching our sixth campaign this year. 
Um, we always visit Atlanta as part of this, but we've also been able to go to the DC Pen Show, the Toronto Pen Show, the San Francisco Pen Show, and we went to Chicago as well to record an episode with the crew over at Field Notes. And uh, we may be going to Dallas this year for our sixth uh, episode, for our sixth Kickstarter campaign. Do you remember back in episode 150, the room we recorded the podcast in? Because we oh, yeah. that was the, our first time recording. We did not have a studio audience. I remember that episode vividly. Oh in my yeah, head. yeah. It's like I can't in. remember some of the some of the podcasts that we had in front of an audience. But during that time, we just got basically like the shell of a hotel ballroom and set up some tables and cameras and, you know, our the, the Hackett Brothers uh, audio AV team. And that was it, me, you, and Anna. So that was pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Crazy I remember times. the one, one of the things I remember, because these are shot on video as, uh, for the Kickstarter campaign. We, we, we give out video versions to the backers. I remember how bright the lights were. <laughs> the first time because I've never recorded in front of lights before. Yeah, because they were so close to us because mm-hmm. we didn't have a crowd to deal with. Mm-hmm. A couple of other podcasts, you know, the, with 400 episodes, you could point out a million different things in the history of the podcast. But two things I wanted to point out. One, our very first guest. Did you know this before I put it in the show document? No, I, no, I, would, I don't know if I would have guessed it either. I don't know that I would have guessed it either. It was Mike Rohde, our good friend from Sketchnote fame. Episode yep. 17 very first guest of the pen addict. I think he's been a return guest since then, but we've had, we've just had tons and tons of guests since then, um, which is fantastic. And then the person who is our most recurring guest and the official third host of mm-hmm. the pen addict podcast, Anna Reinert from the well-appointed desk. Her first appearance was all the way in episode 54. I was thinking wow. it might've been sooner, but just since then, I mean, she's been on the show, I don't know, 12, 15 times. I didn't even bother to count. It's a lot. So um, we love Anna. She's our bestie. And um, she uh, always travels with us on our Kickstarter campaigns. And uh, she's just awesome. And uh, that is one of those friendships that comes from this podcast, which is such such a valuable thing. You know, 400 episodes in, you know, that's certainly the the thing I'll remember the most is the friends we made along the way. <laughs> that's so beautiful <laughs> alright this episode is not all just about the pen addict like I hope mm-hmm. that now we have given you kind of like a primer as to who we are and what we do but now after this break what we're going to do is talk about the products themselves and give a kind of a glossary an overall like set of terms and basics that you might want to know if you are starting to get involved in this hobby But today's episode is brought to you by Warby Parker. Warby Parker was founded by four friends of a rebellious spirit and a lofty goal to create boutique-quality eyewear at a revolutionary price point by allowing you to buy your glasses online. Their free home try-on program makes it so easy. You order five pairs and you try them on for five days with no obligation to buy. Shipping is also free and includes a prepaid return shipping label, so super simple. Just go to warbyparker.com slash penaddict and you can take their quiz right now and order your free home try-ons today. Warby Parker glasses start at $95. That includes prescription lenses and an anti-glare coating and anti-scratch coatings all included as well. I've been wearing Warby Parker glasses for about a year now, and I absolutely love them. Uh, I couldn't find... I was looking for like a specific look, 
and I could only find them with Warby Parker, and I was super happy. But their whole system, the home try-on system, is fantastic because you're able to try on glasses, show them to your loved ones at your own home. You're not kind of being looked at or judged by any store assistants. <laughs> and you can also try those glasses on with your own clothes as well, maybe mix them up a little bit. So you get to see, like, how are these going to look on a daily basis? Super important. And now they have Scout by Warby Parker, which are comfortable, breathable, and a and affordable daily contact lenses made from a super moist material that resists drying for lasting hydration and comfort. You can order a trial pack that includes six days worth of contacts for just $5 and then also receive $5 off your next Warby Parker order. And this is great for every pair of glasses that are sold. Warby Parker distributes a pair to somebody in need. You can learn more about Warby Parker at warbyparker.com slash penaddict. That's warbyparker.com slash penaddict. Our thanks to Warby Parker for their support of this show and Relay FM. We are going back to the beginning, Mike. Mm-hmm. This is the new episode one of the Pen Addict podcast where we explain to people who are just learning about the Pen Addict podcast, who are just learning about good pens and good stationery, what are the things that they're looking at and looking for when they're trying to make a decision on what pen or pencil or paper or fountain pen ink they like. So consider it, consider this the glossary. Um, I think we're going to go through several basic topics. Now, I want to say we're going to cover a lot. We're not going to cover everything. But these, as you know, many of the people who have listened to all 400 episodes will have learned already, these are the, these are the topics that come up the most. And these are kind of the general buckets of pens or paper or what have you that we mention the most. And we want to take this time to explain just the very, very basic stuff once again. How does that sound? I think that is absolutely perfect. All right. All right. So what we're going to do here, I'm going to fire out some phrases to you and you can help explain them to our audience. How does that sound? Sounds great. So let's start off with like your typical pens, the pens that you're going to have the most access to, the stuff that you're going to find in your local Staples, your local WH Smiths. Let's start with like ballpoints and rollables, actually. Let's, let's talk about these together because I think it's important because a lot of people, including me, gets these two confused all the time. What is a ballpoint? What is a rollable? What makes them different? What makes them similar? To this day, these terms get interchanged sometimes accurately, sometimes inaccurately. The overarching issue is that nearly all standard pens have a ball in the tip of the pen, which is how the ink transfers from the ink cartridge within the pen to the page. There's a little ball on the tip. So people will refer to this type of pen as a ball point. But that doesn't mean it's a ballpoint pen. Ballpoint pen refers to an ink type. A ballpoint ink is an oil-based ink. It's a, this is your most basic, most common type of ink you find in the pens you find at the bank, at the school. The most basic, it's a very dry ink. It's usually just in blue or black. Sometimes you'll get a red in there. And sometimes if they're not a good quality ballpoint, they'll be sticky or a little bit messy when you write. But the good thing about them 
is that they can cut, they write anywhere on all types of paper, like paper type doesn't matter. The ballpoint pen is going to write, you know, the situation you're writing in the ballpoint pen is going to write. Think of your standard big crystal ballpoint or your paper mate click ballpoints or your paper mate stick ballpoints, I should say. Um, this is the most basic standard generic pen usually has a ballpoint ink in it. Um, these days, ballpoints have improved in their ink technology. You know, back in the day, you used to be able to smell a ballpoint ink when you wrote with it. It had this weird kind of not really attractive smell. And nowadays, you don't really get that anymore. You get lines that are a little bit cleaner. You get uh, you get fancier types of inks and ballpoint pens. You can get them in new colors. But that's at its most basic the ballpoint pen. The difference between that and a roller ball is nothing physical. It's just the ink. It's still a ball tip pen, but roller ball inks are a liquid ink. Um, it's not an oil based ink. So roller ball inks tend to go on a little bit thicker. They are generally darker, especially like colors like black and blue. They're going to be darker in color than your ballpoint ink. But being a liquid ink, they're also prone to performing worse. So take your standard office paper, whether it's your copy paper, or your legal pad. This is the black ink that soaks into the page. That's what the rollerball ink does. It has to be done right. Like uh, the most famous, the most popular rollerball, I think, is the Pilot Precise V5. It's also the Uniball Vision. It's also another good quality rollerball. Um, and we'll get into some more specific rollerball types later as we talk about this. But that's the primary difference between ballpoint and rollerball is really just ink. And that's what you're going to find in all of these types of categories. So um, ballpoints are an oil-based ink. They're generally pretty dry. They can be pretty messy. They're not very dark. Rollerball inks are wet and dark. But if you find a good one um, and you have good paper to write on, people really enjoy writing with rollerball pens. And there are these types of pens. We use them, right? Like all the time. Yep, because they can be really great and useful. Uh, and also, sometimes fountain pens are not acceptable. Right? <laughs> Filling right. out forms, that kind of stuff, right? Right. You can't do that. right. Um, what? So okay. So we've we've established then that the rollerballs, ballpoints, very similar, but just with some slight differences around ink. Uh, what is a gel pen then? Yeah, the gel pen's the the newcomer to the pen game, if you will. I think it started like in the 1980s. I think Secure was the first one to make a gel ink pen. And what it tried to do was make a better rollerball type ink. So this is a pigment. The refill is, is a pigment in a gel suspension. So what this does is it thickens the ink. It makes it not as liquidy. It makes it even darker than rollerball inks. And when you write with a gel pen on that same office paper, the ink generally sits on top of the page. It doesn't get into the fibers of the paper like a rollerball, so therefore it doesn't bleed or feather or spread out on your page. It takes a little bit longer to dry because of that. Um, but in general, it's the smoothest, most color-accurate you know, deepest, richest colors that you'll find in ink pens and probably the most variety of colors because of the way the gel ink is manufactured. They are able to process, you know, dozens and dozens 
of different color types, which is something that I enjoy in a pen. You can also get sparkly ones too. You can get sparkly ones. You can get a really neat white gel pen that you know you can use for artwork. Um, the gel pens, I don't think you know worldwide they sell the most, but they're the most enjoyable pens to use. They're just more expensive than ballpoints generally. So ballpoints are always going to sell the most just because you can buy them in bulk for cheap for, you know, different office type mm-hmm. situations and bulk situations. But the gel pen is the pen that once people discover, that's the one that usually says, Oh, I like how this one writes. I will keep this one. Uh, yeah. I was just about to say that like when somebody, you know, if you use a gel pen, and you really like it. Like a gel pen can be a thing that helps you discover that you like pens. Yeah. I right? should say like the great example of this is the Pilot G2, right? That's the world's most popular gel ink pen. And if you've ever used a G2, people who have never used a good pen, when they pick up a G2, they go, oh. They know I get something's it. different. And like yep. you go back far enough in this show and you will find like our conversations about the Pilot G2 because mm-hmm. it was the my pen that I was using when we started this show. Mm-hmm. Because I, I mean, because it was like, oh, I love this pen. Like it's a great pen. And it mm-hmm. is a great pen. It's one of my favorites of all time. I don't use Absolutely. it anymore, but I love it. But the refill as well is fantastic. Um, and people use these refills in pens with that are made of like different materials. So you can swap the refill out and put it in something that maybe has a fancier looking body, right? Uh, exactly. But there are other refills, right, that are very frequently used and referred to on this show. Yeah, so we use um, one of the ones we refer to is a Parker type refill. And that's from the Parker Pen Company they made. A very popular pen called the Parker Jotter, which was their retractable ballpoint pen, and the refill had a particular shape. And they just made, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of these pens since like the 50s, 60s. I don't know, they might have even been before then. And that refill just became kind of the refill you used. And therefore, a lot of other companies built products around that shape of refill. The Pilot G2 became the modern version of that Parker refill. It's a different shape, it's a different size, and it's a different ink type, but it is so good and so popular that people started making things for just that refill. Those two refills are not the same shape. And to confuse things, um, the international refill market refers to the Parker-sized refill as the G2. So... Um, we'll, <laughs> we'll save that conversation for another day, but those are two completely different refills, but those are probably the two most popular refills on the market. The third one, um, at least in our world, the one that we talk about a lot is a rollerball refill. So that, this is interesting. These three refill types, the Parker refill is generally a ballpoint. They do make gel, but it's generally a ballpoint refill. The Pilot G2 refill is a gel, and then the Schmidt P8127 and the P8126 is a rollerball. It's a liquid ink refill, but it is it has become famous, at least in our world, because it's a quality ink that does not bleed like most lower-end rollerball types of pens mm-hmm. do. So, But the, these um, are basically the three best in their class. And that's why yeah. you will see these pens, these refills, I should say, used a lot in Kickstarter campaigns. So people that are like creating a fancy pen body that they want people to buy, they will typically gravitate around one of these three 
um, yes. as kind of like this is what we're going to base our pen on because then we know people are going to be able to easily get their hands on the refill. We don't have to go like go straight back to the drawing board. Um mm. And but and then they all you know they also are basing it around some kind of standard which people can get their hands on. Yes, and also these are the types of refills that other companies will make and mimic and you know copy yeah. and and so there's just tons of options in these three refill types. But once you've got your pen sorted out, you need something to write on, <laughs> and that's paper. Uh, one of so, you know, you've got a few different things around paper. One is like the type of paper that you're using. And then you mm. also have the size or the format. Format can be, you know, uh, like, do you want ring bound? Do you want it to be? Uh, <laughs> my favorite is stitched, which means stapled, mm-hmm. stapled, which is one of the funniest things to me mm-hmm. uh, because stitches and staples. But then you can actually get books that are stitched together with thread. And that's like a whole different thing. <laughs> Uh, it's very funny. Um, but the the sizes are also really important. So you've got A4, A5, A3, that kind of thing. Um, what's the deal there, Brad? Out of all the things we discuss, and as technical as something like a fountain pen can be, I think paper is the single hardest thing to discuss clearly and yes. give people a great idea of what we're talking about because mm-hmm. there's so much variance Um, One of the things that I have talked about in these past 399 episodes is I believe in paper standards. I want to know what size paper I'm getting based on international standards. And we'll have a link in the show notes. And the best thing I can tell you for paper is go look at some of the links we put in the show notes. The A size paper is based on a one gigantic sheet of paper from the printing world that is 1,189 millimeters by 841 millimeters. That's A0. That's the big piece of paper that comes shipped into a printing factory on a pallet, right? It's a big, huge piece of paper. Every A size after A0 is exactly half of the previous size before it. So you take an A0 sheet, you fold it in half, you now have an A1 dimension. You take an A1 dimension, fold it in half, you now have A2. So this gets down into the reasonable usage size, which for most people who would listen to a podcast about pens, the biggest size they generally will go with is called A4. That's If you're not familiar with paper sizes, this is going to be ballpark around your copy paper size, like the 8.5 by 11 inch. A4 is the type of paper that most people have had the most experience with. Yes. Because it's also incredibly close to, not exactly to, but close to both letter and legal. Um, Pretty much they look the same when you look at them, even Mm -hmm. if there are some slight differences. Um, But those are kind of, that is like your standard paper format size. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think everything, well, I won't say everything. The majority of things that most people use in the stationary world revolve around the A4 size and then half of that, which is the A5 size, right? So the A4 is your full pad size and the A5 is kind of your half pad size that you see. A5 is basically the sweet spot. Yes. I think. Yeah. A spot, A5, A spot. That's a new... That's a new term. That's not in the glossary. A5 <laughs> A5 is kind of your desk pad, but it's not too big to where you just can't throw it in your bag or backpack to have on the go. It's journals, a great note size. Diaries, journals, typically your, around this size. Your hardback journals that you see, like if you see a Leuch term at Barnes & Noble, that's an A5 size. So. Or a moleskin. 
or most games, Which but is it's probably not. better. For the, and well, the, so this is the problem. Yeah, this is where then we it fight. Becomes A five and A four. We've already mentioned letter and legal. Mm-hmm. At a certain point, they become referred to as just like a rough format yes. size. Yes. Like, like uh, Moleskines are about A5 size. They're not exact, but they're but about they're not. A5 size. Yeah, and this is where Brad gets upset, mm-hmm. right? Because you, it is Moleskine is not A5. But if you look at it just, you know, in the world... It looks like, oh, it's A5-ish. And that's where I start to have, have problems. So I, I'm a believer in the true A5 sizes. And uh, Moleskine is not that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this is a, it's a tough thing to discuss. We're not even going to touch. We're not going to attempt paperweights. Because they're measured in what's called pounds. Which is not a physical you know, like a weight measurement. I mean, it's technically, it's a paperweight measurement, but you don't think of it in like, okay, Brad weighs a lot of pounds. <laughs> it's not the same type of measurement. It's also me- measured in grams per square inch. So paper is extremely difficult to explain the details. What we focus on is more the size, the general sizes, like the A sizes. There's a lot of B sizes. You can go all the way. C sizes are somewhat common. There's F sizes out there now that are more square. So there's all kinds of things. But we mostly focused on the features of the paper. Like what does the paper feel? What? How does it perform with certain pen types? And honestly, it's one of the most important things to consider if you're getting into stationary. As good as your favorite pen is, it's going to perform only as good as the paper you're using, right? If you're using even a a gel pen, if you're using a Pilot G2 gel pen on your office copy paper, it's going to be fine. It's going to work well. If you use that on a different type of paper, say a Rhodia pad, which I'll explain more in a minute, it's going to perform differently. Mm -hmm. So every little decision you make in your stationery it's kind of like a chain reaction with the rest of it you know you take one pen from one page it's going to perform completely differently so the main topics that i like to discuss when we talk about the features a paper has i want to know if the paper is coded or uncoded and there's all kinds of terminology in the printer world on how the paper is finished, you know, whether it's hot pressed or cold pressed and all these technical details. But basically, coated and uncoated, you can feel it to the touch. Is it kind of smooth and glossy or is it a little bit rougher? Like these are honestly pretty close in feel, but you can tell a difference when they're side by side. And what a coated page does is it prevents the ink from seeping into the fibers of the paper as quickly. Now you can get in there with a like a you know a lot of ink on the page it will soak it in like it's not rejecting the ink don't think that I'm when I'm saying it's coated this is like you're writing on linoleum or something it's just a smoother type that's good for your liquid inks right anything that bleeds into standard basic uncoated paper you're going to want to use coated paper for now the downside to that is it's going to take a while to dry right ink dries on a page based on how fast it's absorbed into the page right so there's a balance you're trying to find with the pen types you like with the paper type that works the best for that so you know a popular example of a coded page is 
a brand called Rodia. They make probably some of the best notepads in the world. I would certainly vouch for that. I don't think that's an unfair statement, and I think a lot of people will agree in general. Super good starter, right? Like if you are currently using Moleskines or something like that or something, and you want to improve, you want to like take the next level up, I really, really recommend Rodia paper. They come in so many different formats they have books that look like uh moleskine books but they also have Mm -hmm. pads that you can just use and you just tear a page out or whatever um and then once you've started down that world you'll be able to move into other areas but i think that rodeo have excellent paper quality good pricing and in every conceivable format that you're looking for and they're widely available. Like this they're is a worldwide brand. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I, I have walked into stores in the UK and have found Rodeo pads. Like you typically have to find like a stationary store, like one that carries stuff. Um, but I've found like if you can find somewhere that that carries Lamy pens, you'll find mm-hmm. some. You'll find the same place will probably carry a Rodeo paper. Which and those two are like, and we'll get into those later on the pen stuff. But those are like really yes. good. Let's give this. Let's let's get an upgrade on my Bic and Moleskine lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The un- the uncoded popular pages are like Leuchtturm, Moleskine, those types. They work well with fountain pens, but they're generally going to work better with your ballpoints, rollerballs, gels, things like that um, for the most part. Um, you can use fountain pens with them. I have good success with fountain pens with them. It's just a little bit different dry time, a little bit different um, if you're using a lot of fountain pens and bright colored inks, the ink will look different, right? Um, the ink might be brighter on a coated page than an uncoated page because it's the ink is sitting up on top of the page. Um, the other thing to think about when you're buying a notebook is is the format. Now, this is probably the easiest thing for you to get. You either look at you look at the page and decide, oh, I like that it's blank. Oh, I like the lines that are going across it. Um, or you can have like a grid or a graph or you can have a dot. So the format is the most obvious thing. You know, it's not even something we need to explain. But those are kind of the four basic formats. There's yep. a million other formats out there. And right? I would be super surprised if everybody listening to this does not already know exactly what they want with blank lined grid or dot. Like yes. You don't even have to really have experienced them to know what you want, right? Mm-hmm. Like I am mm-hmm. a dot or grid person, but preferably dot person. Um, yes. because I like a little structure, but I like the page to, the, to a glance look like it's blank. That's my my feeling on these things. Yeah. So for what's a very, a very simple thing, a piece of paper, I think it's one of the most complex things to fully explain. But the good thing is you, you don't really have to go deep into that rabbit nope. hole. There's a big rabbit hole there, but you can stay up on top ground and be just fine with paper as long as you're considering what you're using and how it works with the certain pen type that you choose. Personally, I think that lined paper is like a crime, but y- you know, <laughs> you, you do you. <laughs> I just don't, lines just seem so strange to me, really. Like I, I don't really <laughs> understand why people buy lined paper, but you know, if that's your thing go for it i think we're just all scarred from our school days it just feels like a prison to me (laughs) right (laughs) like you can only write in this one direction and Mm -hmm. in this space and enjoy it it's like okay thank you mr line paper (laughs) so we've spoken about regular standard pens right we we have yet to get to should we do pencils now we can pencils is pretty straightforward now yeah that's what because 
after this, we're going to talk about fountain pens, and there's a lot in fountain pens. So why don't we talk about pencils? So you have two basic types of pencils. Your wooden pencils, which are the traditional pencil that you've That's the pencil seen you know. for your yep. entire life. The mm-hmm. you know the yellow number two with the pink eraser. You know that's your basic wooden pencil, and then you have your mechanical pencil, which has you know separate lead that you have to put into the pencil that is extended by a knocking mechanism on the back of the pen or a shaker mechanism within the mechanical pencil. Mechanical pencils can get fancy and complex or they can be very simple straightforward lead delivery and writing mechanism so the primary differences between the two is the wooden pencils are are much more inexpensive because they're essentially i guess is disposable the right term i don't want to say that in a negative way but you you use the entirety of the pen pencil and then it's gone and then you pick up the next one and you use the entirety of that pencil and then it's gone where a mechanical pencil you keep one single pencil and you continue to refill it with lead um wooden pencils have seen a resurgence in the past decade i love a really good quality wooden pencil the popular brands out there now um, Blackwing makes beautiful pencils. Karen Dash makes beautiful pencils. Viarco. There's a whole industry out there, Musgrave, that makes wonderful wooden pencils that are way better than anything you've used back in your childhood or in school. Um, and they there is a huge range with wooden pencils that you can kind of get in mechanical pencils, but there's a huge range of lead grades within the pencils. And I say lead, uh, it's not technically lead, it's graphite, but I like saying lead just seems to flow better when you're talking about pencils. Um, you can get a really, really firm and light uh, lead grade, or you can get a really, really soft and dark lead grade, and you can get about, I don't know, 20 different grades in between, even more on some brands to, to um, depending on how light, dark, smooth, firm, soft, you want to write. So wooden pencils have great variety. Um, They're very, they're fun to use, right? They just bring back these memories. Like this, it's like the purest analog writing um, experience, I believe, with uh, wooden pencils. Mm. Mechanical pencils, you can get very technical. You can get mechanisms that retract into themselves so you're not poking yourself with the lead pipe that sticks out of them. You can get a lead that rotates within the barrel like the Uranubal Kurotoga is a famous mechanical pencil yep. because it rotates the lead from a design and technical perspective the Rotring 600 is kind of the the cream of the crop as far as engineering type pencils go this is what a lot of architects engineers and design students used you know it's back the in the day classic look of a mechanical mm-hmm. pencil as well mm-hmm. like if you think of a mechanical pencil you were thinking of this one or those colored barrel ones that like bic is it bic made those like the, the plastic color barrel with the black erasers bic made the one that actually looks like a wooden pencil the yellow or paper made made the one with the with the uh That's that looked like a made. pencil then yep. Bic made the one with like the colored clips like black barrels and colored clips yep yep so um i love pencils um i use them quite frequently they live on my desk again like this is the this is the top level discussion mm-hmm. the things you can get into with pencils like people devote entire blogs on 
all of these topics that we're talking about, whether it's notebooks or ballpoint pens or wooden pencils, all of these things have their own specific categories and niche markets and all kinds of things you can get into. So, you know, this is a way for us to say, hey, there's a lot of awesome stuff out there that you can explore. And hopefully this will make you ask more questions about, hey, what's a good wooden pencil? And that's when you, you know, reach out to someone like uh, Mike or myself. Well, in wooden pencils case, me, uh, not Mike, but uh, I love, I love pencils. So I, they are a, a wonderful thing. I'll say at this stage, we're throwing out a lot of brands and a lot of products, and there's probably too many to keep an actual list in the show notes. I'm putting some stuff in there as as we're going through today, but Mm -hmm. one link that I will point people to right now is your top lists, your top five lists. Oh, sure. Because if you think to yourself, oh, you know what? I want to try out a mechanical pencil. Brad has compiled on on the Pen Addict website uh, a selection of lists of different categories. Like um, you're looking at different, some, you've got some ink stuff, wooden stuff, mechanical pencil stuff, uh, ballpoint pens, multi-pens, fountain pens under certain value levels and with a little bit of explanation about them all. It's like a really great resource to go in and take a look at like if there's a certain category that you're interested in Brad has already put together some some recommended lists and by and large, like me and him agree on pretty much all of them. Some numbers mm-hmm. we'd swap around, but you know, I, I feel like that the, the, the lot of the lists that you put together are really great consensuses of uh, of what pens should, people should buy in t- certain categories. Yep, and it's currently being updated. Always updated. Always right. updated. So I will we'll give a little stretch now. Well, uh, <laughs> we'll limber up. Let's talk about fountain pens. All right. What I think we should do mm-hmm. here is go end to end and okay. explain each part of a fountain pen because they're much more complicated. They have a lot more going on. So I think we should do that. I think first we should start about talking about the materials that they're made from and then kind of explain each part and what it does. How does that okay. sound? That sounds good to me. And I would like to have a little bit of introduction to this as we still get so many new listeners that have only explored wooden pencils or gel pens that are interested in learning more about fountain pens. Don't let any of this intimidate you. No, It is actually very, very much more simple than what we're about to lay out in mm-hmm. these next several minutes. But there is um, just more, there is more choice in this world, mm-hmm. in this part of the pen world. So mm-hmm. there seems to, so there are just more permutations of what you can go for. It's worth right. noting, if you go back to the beginning of this show, neither me nor Brad were using fountain pens at all. In fact, there is a quote, I don't remember exactly, but Brad Dowdy said that he didn't care about fountain pens. That mm-hmm. was, you know, you can go back long enough in the show and you will come to that. And that, now we both use fountain pens predominantly, um, for mm-hmm. me, almost exclusively. And we have lots of different types of fountain pen. And that's the majority of the discussion on episodes these days. We'll focus around fountain pens because there is a lot of really exciting stuff that you can get into there. So we'll, and as you hear us talk about these, you'll understand maybe a little bit more why, because this hobby, the pen hobby, Ultimately, it becomes an idea of choice about you getting what mm-hmm. you want, and there is no greater realm in this hobby than in fountain pens of being able to get exactly what you want. Yeah, I refer to the fountain pen market as the most customizable pen for you, right? It's just there's so many options, and you can 
dial it right into the most perfect writing yeah. experience for you in particular. So like there are choices in mechanic. There are choices in wooden pencils, mm-hmm. but the, but you will run out of those choices quickly mm-hmm. compared to fountain pens, where you can just go forever. So yep. let's start talking about what are the typical materials used to make a fountain pen. The most common, far and away huge percentage of the market is either plastic or acrylic you know those terms are interchangeable easy to work with easy to shape easy to make in bulk and also easy to make in lots of really interesting and fun colors right so that's the thing you'll see at the very inexpensive like less than ten dollar end of the market you'll just see like your basic clear or you know smoke gray tube you know essentially for the barrel of the pen and then it can go all the way up into just rainbows and swirls and wild acrylic materials that people are customizing and hand making pens from but really that's just the most common it's the most you know um, affordable type of material that is is made in bulk right there's always caveats to everything we're about to say but in the general sense of things, you know, far and away, you're going to see more fountain pens made out of plastics and acrylics than my anything else. cheapest and my most expensive fountain pens are both made of plastic. Yep. And yep, exactly. I'll tell you right now, the difference in price between my cheapest is like, <laughs> it's many hundreds X, right? Like it's, you yeah. know, it's, it's a big, big difference. It's a lot of X. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll also find fountain pens in various metals. So yep. there's... Metal is another um, material that's, I won't call it easy to work with, but there's a lot of machine shops and large factories that work with metal barrel pens. Um, They're a little bit more expensive, obviously, just because of metal types. Like the the low end of the metal pens are going to be more expensive than the low end of the fountain pens. Everything above a certain price point at all gets mixed up into other other things. But you'll find, you know, brass, aluminum, titanium, all kinds of pretty much any type of metal that is, you know, easily work withable by machinists or or factories is going to end up in a fountain pen. One of the classic styles of fountain pen barrels are made from wood. There's all kinds of wood types. I'm sure probably some of the early fountain pens were were made with a nib, you know, stuck on the end of a piece of wood and that you could use as like a dip pen, right? Yeah. So wood has seen a rise over the years as we get more and more makers into this type of industry you'll see less wood in the large brands um even though they still do make pens with wood parts like lamy does i know pilot has on occasion things Mm -hmm. like that some of the brands we'll talk about later um but you'll see that more in individual smaller shops smaller makers ebonite is a classic fountain pen material because it's easily shaped um it can come in different dyes and patterns it has, it's, you know, basically, I guess the term is vulcanized rubber, but it doesn't feel like that. It's a very uh, firm material, but it lends itself to fountain pens because it, it's able to hold its shape well. It's easier to work with. It's not as easy as an acrylic to color, right? You can't get the most bright ebonite pens materials, but ebonite is also used as a base for, a base material for 
let's say, lacquer artwork to go over the top of, which we'll explore a little bit later. Um, and the last one I wanted to mention is celluloid, which is a different, it's in that kind of acrylic ebonite category, but it's just a little bit different consistency and feel in the pin barrel. Um, out of this list, it's probably the, the lowest use and it's more expensive because I think it's just harder to manufacture. But celluloid is popular because you can get beautiful colors and patterns out of that when you're starting to get into higher end or, or some vintage fountain pens. It's just a, a beautiful, beautiful material. All right, so these are what you'll find your pens to be made of. Typically, there'll be some some mixtures, you know, like a plastic pen may have some metal pieces to it. So you're sure. looking at like, a, uh, you know, maybe it's a cap or maybe it's just a clip or maybe some bands. Uh, when you have that stuff, when, when you have uh, parts of the pen made out of a different material to the rest of the pens, it's referred to as the furniture of the pen, <laughs> which is a wonderful phrase that I love yes. so much. But if you have like a plastic pen and it has a silver clip and maybe a silver, we'll get into what this means in a moment, finial, uh, that is known as the furniture. It's silver yes. furniture, which is wonderful. So let's yes. start with that then. What is a finial and where does it go? On the top of the top of the pen and the bottom of the bottom of the pen. So the mm -hmm. bottom of the barrel and the top of the cap are generally areas where manufacturers will do extra things right whether it's having some type of etching or having some type of insert it's just generally a place where extra artwork goes to make the pen look special it could be just a simple like i don't know a simple shape like the tip the top of the cap could be pointed like um you know or it could have a little medallion insert and, you know, that can go on the top of the pen or the bottom of the pen. And it's generally referred to as a finial. So you already mentioned it, but the majority of the pen is called the barrel. So mm -hmm. what is what is what do we need to know about that? The barrel is pretty much what you're going to hold in your hand, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of the important handwriting uh, or it's the, the important comfort place for your handwriting. You want to have a barrel. The barrel can be wide. It can be narrow. It can have different um, different etchings on it. It can have different shapes built in. It can be a little bit wavy, but that's the part that's going to hit your hand, and you want to you're going to want to make sure that the barrel is comfortable when you're holding it. Um, and then, for example, the cap will generally go cover up the nib of the fountain pen. We're going to talk about all these things. It's hard to it's hard to do this without do talk about the cap without talking about the other things that is in, are involved with the cap. But I think the cap is pretty self-explanatory as well as the clip. So the clip is usually attached to the cap of a fountain pen and some fountain pens don't have a clip and the clips, like Mike said, they can be made of all different kinds of materials. Um, and some people like clips. Some people don't like clips. Some companies make really fancy clips. Some people, some companies make very, plain and nondescript clips so it's just a place where manufacturers can uh, take as many liberties as they want with the pen design the most important part many people will argue with a fountain pen is the nib yes so that is where all of the glorious writing that you see on instagram comes from it's where a lot of the money is is taken up as well Right. So there's all kinds of different types of nibs you can get. The primary primary categories 
of nibs are steel nibs, which are the least expensive. And I'll go over the properties of each of these after I list them out. Then there's gold nibs, which is your main upgrade point and huge price jump point. And then there's titanium nibs. So there's nibs made of of other materials, of course. Um, there's things like glass nibs and other categories. But for 90% of your pens, you're going to either have a steel nib, a gold nib, or titanium nib. So let me explain a little bit of the difference. So steel is definitely the most cost-efficient nib. It is generally firmer than gold and titanium. You know, it's just a stiffer material. It's a very consistent line that you get because of that stiffness. It's not as pliable or as flexible or as moldable as gold and titanium. And it's probably, you know, the number one universal type of nib. You know, a lot of pens are just going to come with a steel nib option just because of cost. Steel nibs can be glorious. They can be some of the best writing nibs you'll ever have. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things we're going to talk about in the future, in future episodes, and maybe the, the, the secondary episode to this is, you know, steel versus gold uh, and why you would make a choice between the two. But in general, it's a cost thing. But it's not a performance thing, to be perfectly honest. You can feel the difference between steel and a gold nib, but based on your writing style, it may not make your writing look that much different for the increasing cost that you're going to uh, have to take on to afford a gold nib. Now, gold nibs are fantastic in their own right. They generally start with a, the 14-karat gold nib um, and then go up to the 21-karat gold nib. So... They're, so 14, 18, and 21 karat are the main stops in the gold quantity of the nibs. The 14 karat being uh, more of a mix uh, of gold and other materials, and then 21 being more gold in the nib. And that just means it's a softer nib, a um, little bit more flexible, a um, a little bit more feel and bounce in the nib when you're writing also at a much greater price point. So 14 karat gold is going to be, you know, 10 times as much as a steel nib and a 21 karat gold is probably going to be 15 or more times um, expensive than a steel nib. You know, it's just whatever the market rate for gold and how these companies are, are handling their gold stockpile to make this. I mean, it's a rare material and they're making, they're making, these parts out of it and you will see the price jump greatly from a steel nib in the same barrel as a gold nib it's it's it can be you know hundreds of dollars worth of difference titanium kind of falls in between steel and gold and it's also not used that much but it's common enough to where i think we should mention it um it's an interesting material mm-hmm. it generally has some flex and some give to the nib it has um, a price point that is interesting enough for people to test it out. And it's just, for some reason, whatever that reason is, it's never become as popular as steel or gold. I think it's just a little bit of a feel issue for a lot of people. It can get or, squeaky. Yeah, it can get squeaky. Or a look, a looks issue, right? Yep. It's not as good looking, to be perfectly honest, as steel or gold. It looks like an unpolished metal, basically, because that's, you know kind of what it is a lot of the time right um and it doesn't it can be it's more expensive than steel 
typically less expensive than gold, but doesn't offer the sex appeal that a gold nib has, right? Right, Where the, right. And a steel nib, in a lot of circumstances, can actually look nicer than a titanium nib as well. Absolutely. And just to give people who are considering fountain pens for the first time, I'm going to give you just a ballpark price just to have in your head when we're talking about this for just a nib let's say a steel nib would be twenty dollars a titanium nib would be fifty dollars and a gold nib would be a hundred and twenty dollars right that's just Mm -hmm. just to give you a picture in your head of kind of what we're talking about just for a strict nib price you know there's obviously a million different things that can go into those costs and, and change those costs drastically but just to give you a ballpark of and something to work with when we're talking about pricing for those yep because you also you know as well as the actual nib and what it's made of there are lots of different uh quality aspects to consider about how they're made and customized and that kind of stuff yep yep now if the materials weren't confusing enough nib sizing can get very confusing because not all medium-sized nibs write the same. Mm-hmm. So there's a thing in our industry where there's two groups of nib sizes and they're measured on a different baseline. European fountain pen nibs are probably what most people are introduced to first, what most people's fountain pen is sized with, and or what most people's first fountain pen experience is. So let's just say they range from an extra fine nib, which would be the finest line. Then they'll have a fine nib, a medium nib, and a broad nib for their line width grades of writing. Okay, So your extra fine would be the finest line. Up to your broad would be the widest and wettest line. So there's a difference in how the ink flows too. Japanese nibs will have the same extra fine, fine, medium, and broad, but every single one of them will write a finer line than their European counterparts. Mm -hmm. So you have to know this if you want a medium line and you're used to, say, a brand called Lamy, which we'll talk about all these brands later, and you've used Lamy's medium nib and you like a brand called Pilot, which is made in Japan, and you go to buy a Pilot medium nib, that line's going to write about half the width of your Lamy line. So that's something you have to be aware of. If you're buying a Japanese nib and manufactured by a Japanese manufacturer or, you know, in the case of Lamy, a German nib made in, in Europe, those things are different. And that's one of the questions we'll get to this day of what nib should I like to write like this? What nib is the best for me? That's a super common uh, question that we get. So it's a matter of trial and error and testing. And unfortunately, not all nib sizes are created equally. Mm-hmm. Uh, the nib itself rests in what is known as the grip section. And the name of this section of the pen is pretty self-explanatory. It's the place that you hold. Uh, yeah. And we mentioned that because there are a lot of different things that go into a grip section. They can be straight. They can be tapered. They could be concave. They could be molded in the case of Lamy. There's a ridge in the middle that will help you theoretically have better uh, a better grip on the pen to give you better penmanship. So there's all kinds of different considerations that go into the grip itself just from a shape and comfort perspective, right? It's depending on, again, this goes back to the most 
custom custom writing experience you can get is with a fountain pen and write down to where you're holding the pen is going to feel different from person to person based on their grip. For example, I'm right-handed. I write with a traditional what's called a tripod grip like any it's a pretty normal basic grip. Mike is left-handed. He would feel his fingers would feel the same grip that I'm using in the same pen differently yeah. than I do. Mm-hmm. And is it comfortable for him? So these are things you have to consider when you're making fountain pen purchases. Yep. Because there are many pens that this differs for me and Brad. Uh, being, I'm what's known as an overhooker. Uh, I kind of hold the pen. I, I kind of circle my arm around the page and the pen kind of faces back down mm-hmm. towards me, which is a very peculiar thing, but it's a, it's a pretty standard left-handed grip. And so, yeah, but it results in a very, very different experience for the two of us from a exactly the same pen. And mm-hmm. this can come down to not just the grip section, but the performance of a nib uh, from, and also it also helps equate to somebody's own preferences as to what they enjoy as well. Yep. All right, so there are filling systems. So every <laughs> fountain pen, so you will probably be aware that a fountain pen requires ink, right? I think people know mm-hmm. that. It's a pretty standard thing that people are aware of. And there are two broad ideas like two major ideas as to how you get ink in a fountain pen and then one of them has lots of offshoots to it the two basic ideas are do you put a cartridge in it so like a typically little plastic thing that you buy from a pen company that's already filled with ink and you buy like a box of them and then you just refill them whenever the whenever it runs out right so you're just refilling it that is a a cartridge nice and simple that's typically again how most people will experience their first fountain pens in most instances because it is the easiest the less least messy uh way to deal with a fountain pen but then it's also the least fun the most fun (laughs) is to refill it to have ink from a bottle typically that you are going to refill your pen from but then when you get into the ink refilling world, there are then a bunch of different filling systems that you may come across. Yeah, so like Mike said, cartridge is the basic. If you're starting and you're just buying the most entry-level fountain pen, it's probably going to come in a package with a single ink, ink cartridge. You unscrew where the grip section meets the barrel, you take that cartridge out of the packaging, and you pop it right into the pen screw the barrel back together and start writing. So that's your 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 basic filling system. Everything else is going to require a bottle of ink. So the converter essentially looks like a glorified cartridge with a little twist mechanism on the back to where you unscrew the barrel, you put in the the converter just as you would the cartridge but it's empty. So you twist this little knob and the piston filler goes down and you dip the front end of your pen you know, where the nib is and the grip section starts into a bottle of ink and then you twist it back, pulling the ink up into the converter. That's how people are getting all of these cool colors in their fountain pens that are not available in cartridges, right? That's the limitation that Mike was mentioning with cartridges. You know, you can get some wild, cool color cartridges, but some of them are also specific to brands and that's a whole, you know, that's that's the 201 level. We'll get to that. Um But for the basics, the converter just helps draw ink into the pen from the bottle. The advanced version of a converter 
is when it's actually built into the pin, and that's called a piston filler. It's, you know, expanding on the converter design to where the mechanics are actually physically built into the pin, where you're just screwing the back end of the pin barrel has the twist mechanism built in it, and the piston is built into the pin barrel, and it moves up and down the barrel as you're filling. And that's kind of considered... I don't know, one of the best filling mechanisms, right? Some people will only buy piston mechanisms. You know, it's, as you can imagine, it can be much more costly, much more expensive than filling, uh, than using a cartridge or a converter. There is a cost consideration when you're talking about a piston filler. Same with a vacuum type filler. It's similar to a piston, but it's more of a plunging mechanism. Um, you unscrew it from the back and then you kind of snap down the piston rod that is in there and it sucks up the ink in a more aggressive fashion mm-hmm. than a piston. This is a very interesting conversation, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Once you get into more advanced levels of fountain pens, people will will use what's called an eyedropper filling. Um, and it's not even a mechanism. It's really when you have a certain barrel type that is sealed off by silicone grease and you just fill the barrel in its entirety with ink. So it's the This is the most capacity. advanced. This, uh, this really is like you've got to feel very comfortable with yourself and your <laughs> abilities to pull this off, I think, because yeah. it is also the most prone to make a huge mess. Yeah, and it's really an, an old type of mechanism, old type of filling that, you know, was probably around late 1800s, definitely early 1900s, this type of filling, eyedropper filling system was in vogue at the time. And it kind of went away because it is, it can be very messy. And at the time, you know, the consistencies built in fountain pens weren't as great as they are now from a manufacturing perspective. So eyedroppers give you basically the largest ink capacity. And for some people, that's a very important consideration. So that is a lot of your consideration in the filling system is one, you know, do I want to use an ink that's not available in a cartridge? And then number two, how much of that ink do I want to put into the pen? So a converter, it's going to be a smaller capacity than a piston filler, which is going to be smaller capacity than an eyedrop filled fountain pen in general terms. What else? Do, do we want to talk anything more on fountain pens today? I think we want to clean them, Mike. I know you're not interested in That's that, really. That's a good really. point. I'm mm. not, not interested in it. I just don't <laughs> do it as much as you do. <laughs> <laughs> so cleaning your fountain pens is important. Um, yes. You don't have to overly obsess about it. What I always say about fountain pen cleaning is you have to be considerate of when your pen needs cleaning, right? So... This is clearly the highest maintenance form of pen writing that you're going to do above, you know, your ballpoints, rollerballs and gelling pens. There is maintenance involved. And I think that's more, that's the biggest roadblock for people testing fountain pens. It's more than just refilling them, right? You Mm -hmm. do occasionally, if you want, if you want to maintain the life of your pen, you do have to clean it as well. You have to give it some tender love and care. Right. It is not difficult to clean a fountain pen just for your basic use. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is unscrew the barrel, you know, hold the, the nib section in one hand, remove the cartridge or converter, and run it underwater until it runs clear, right? If you have a blue ink in it, when it's no wrong, longer running blue, 
So you can shake out the nib, you know, in a paper towel. You just want to have some idea of how to clean a fountain pen because what happens is the nib and the feed will tend to get dry. That's the exposed part of the fountain pen. So where that liquid is, it will tend to dry up a little bit over time and that will cause the ink flow not to flow as well. So it just won't be as nice of a writing experience, but if you clean it, it's like getting a brand new pen again. I use a couple of tools aside from just running the fountain pen nibs and grip section under the water. I use, oddly enough, a nasal aspirator, which is a little syringe bulb um, that you use, and it just pressure pushes water through the uh, through the nib and it just cleans it out faster and more forcefully. And I find that to be well worth any investment. Even if you only have one fountain pen and one bottle of ink, spending $1.50 on a nasal aspirator to shoot water through the nib when it's time to clean it is worth every penny and will just make your writing experience more enjoyable. You can also use blunt nose syringes to kind of shoot water into a pen. Sometimes that's good for piston fillers, right? Because you'll clean out the um, the nib section, and then you still have like a barrel that, you know, you normally can just run water through the piston, just fill it back and forth, but a syringe, you can kind of pop in there and, uh, pressure wash it a little bit, if you will. And then there are ultrasonic cleaners, which is a really, that's your advanced move. Um, they're not necessary unless you're a very avid fountain pen cleaner into vintage pens that need extensive cleaning. It's not something you should really consider, uh, buying if you're a beginner, but I wanted to mention it because it does come up enough to where people ask about, do I need an ultrasonic cleaner to clean a fountain pen? Well, the answer is no, um, but there are extreme situations where people who have extensive pen collections, collections do find them useful. Did we do it? We did it. We did it. We got through it. That's fountain, fountain pen. pens. Oof. Now, we want to talk about a couple of other things to round out today's episode, uh, mm -hmm. like some brands that we love and, and also some things that come up frequently on the show as well. Mm -hmm. Before we do, let me thank our second sponsor of this episode, and that is ExpressVPN. I think it is fair to say that we all want to browse the internet without the rest of the world knowing what we're doing. We all know about incognito windows, but did you know that even in incognito mode, your online activity could actually still be traced? Even if you clear your browsing history, your internet service provider could see every single website you've ever visited, and that's why you want ExpressVPN. They make sure that your ISP or anybody else can't see what sites you're visiting. Instead, your internet connection is rerouted through secure servers that ExpressVPN offering to you. They're, they're looking after them. Each server has an IP address that's shared among thousands of users, which means that everything that you do is anonymized and can't be traced back to you. It also encrypts 100% of your data with the best-in-class encryption, so your information is always protected even when you're using public Wi-Fi, like at a cafe or a hotel. That's where I use ExpressVPN the most is when I'm traveling. But the thing is, and the thing that's great about this, it's not just like if you're up to something you shouldn't be, right? That's like not what we're talking about here. But you deserve privacy in your life, right? Like we're humans. We're in this modern world. People deserve privacy. We, that's something that is like a fundamental human right. And so you can get that for yourself, ExpressVPN. It is rated the number one by Tech Radar, Wired, The Verge, and more. 
and you can use the internet in confidence from your computer, tablet, or smartphone. Just tap one button and you are protected. Protect yourself online today and protect your online activity as well. And find out more about how you can get three months for free at expressvpn.com slash penaddict. That's expressvpn.com slash penaddict for three months free. Of one-year package, I'll give you that URL one more time, expressvpn.com slash penaddict. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, this next section, Mike, I included it just to talk about some of the brands that come up repeatedly um, in our first 399 episodes. Yeah. Now, we're just g- going to give a little bit of highlight, a little, little bit of commentary on a few of these brands. This won't take too long, but I want to tell all of our old-time listeners, I promise I left your favorite brand off this list. Yes, so don't email we did me. it. We did it purposefully <laughs> to annoy you. So we'll start. We'll, we'll break these down. Uh, some of these brands into like the pen brands. We'll break down geographically, and then we'll mm-hmm. talk about some popular paper and ink brands. And we don't say these are the best. We don't say they're necessarily our favorites, but they are companies that come up a lot on the show, and we think are important to know about. So in Europe, we have Pelican. Yeah, so Pelican is one of the biggest pen companies in the world. They are, for me, one of the pen companies that I measure other things against because they're really good at what they do. For example, in the fountain pen world, they have what I think is the best piston filler. Uh, For a lot of people, they have what's considered the best nibs. And they are just a classic design that is just world-renowned and well-respected. Aurora. Aurora gets into the Italian market, and there's. Um, I also have will include Montegrappa in that as well. They both make very Italian pens. They can sometimes be like very loud, very unique materials. In the case of Montegrappa, very unique designs, and they're companies that, as a pen addict, I watch a lot for what they're creating because they do a lot of interesting things. They may not always be for you, you know. They just like uh, Visconti is another brand there as well. You know, they're they all can on do, the expensive side. These these ones as well. These are these are all very pricey pens yeah. in general. Um, they have lower end pens but their forte is in you know the expensive mid-range to very expensive uh, types of pens um on the opposite end of the ledger ledger is another german brand called Lamy. we talk about Lamy a lot because they do very interesting things at a more normal price point for the vast majority of us and our listeners and they have been around for a long time they make really unique designs that have withstood the test of time the Lamy 2000 is one of the most famous fountain pens ever made uh the Lamy Safari is right up there with it I would argue you've probably seen the Lamy Safari in your stationery store yes it's a very common very easy very accessible pen um the last one in the European section is Mont Blanc, which I mentioned them because even though they're not talked about in this show a lot, in the public fountain pen space, they are talked about uh, often with reverence, mm-hmm. and there's good reason for that. Um, it is a luxury brand, so they're very expensive, but a lot of people's first fountain pen is a gift, and a lot of times it's a Mont Blanc. It was and mine. Yeah, and people want, mm-hmm. people want to know about that brand. So it is a brand that comes up from time to time. I'm into Mont Blanc inks. They are a very, very good very ink good. maker. Um, I, don't, I have 
one or two Montblanc pens. It's not a very common thing for me, but they do come up a lot and is a very, very good pen company. They make some really beautiful stuff, and every now and then both of us lust over a Montblanc product of some description. Absolutely. Um, but they are, when when looking at our overall market, they're overpriced compared to a lot of their competitors. Right. That's another reason yeah. why in the in the canon of the of the of the Pen Attic podcast, like we'll discuss them in as they relate to other similar brands. Mm-hmm. Because yep. they don't necessarily do a lot of stuff that other companies don't do for cheaper, but they are and I get it, that's fashion. They're they're you're you're yes. paying more for the Mont Blanc brand brand, which is in certain circles very important. Yes, yes. Um, the USA market, you'll notice when I list off a few of these companies, that is a very different type of list than the European market. The European market has very historical brands. In the US, we could talk about Parker's and Esterbrooks and Cross and other things that were founded in the US, but those pens don't really rank in our world right now. They're good pens. They're perfectly fine, but they're not as interesting as some of the other brands we have in the usa this is more of a maker's list wouldn't you say i would yeah i mean estabrook are back you know sure they, they were gone for a while and mm-hmm. were kind of uh just vintage only but that brand has seen a resurgence but th- especially the brands that we talk about on this show the most that are american tend to have seen their life born on kickstarter yeah, Franklin Christoph is the exception to that. And I guess Edison is too. Uh, Franklin Christoph has been around for a while. Edison and Carolina Pen Company, um, all three of those brands make beautiful acrylic pens. They are pushing the envelope on pen design and what can be made with you know CNC machines and interesting materials and different things like that that really kind of... They really lean into the customization of what a fountain pen can be, I believe. And then I also included Keras Customs on here. They weren't the first ones to make metal pens, but they kind of took off in that market. And there's been a bunch of other companies that have come since then. They were one of uh, the real early successes. They are one of the early Kickstarter successes, too. That was actually a Kickstarter uh, success and that they've made a, a business model out of making unique metal pens and out of different materials um so i think it's uh the usa market is definitely more of a maker space than a historical market like the next one we have coming up japan japan this is where the real history is baby (laughs) yeah well the german companies are older right you know they have some time they have some years on them but japan will often refer to as the big three manufacturers in japan which is pilot platinum and sailor they all have a hundred plus years behind them in manufacturing manufacturing every part of their pens head to toe and have really High quality, great standards. Uh, Japan is still to this day one of the stationary capitals of the world, and they just make really high quality goods. I've also included Nakaya in this list, which is an offshoot of Platinum. It's essentially Platinum's luxury brand lineup where you get a lot of handmade pins, and it comes up a lot in this show because I have a fascination with them as a brand and as a writing instrument, and it's one of my favorite brands. Well, so we both do. I just don't own one yet. Yes, yes, yes. Yet. One of these years. Yeah. I'm I've definitely come around to platinum because mm-hmm. I was I was kind of a platinum hold off for a bit. So mm-hmm. I I believe in the Kaya is again back in my future. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. And like I said, we're listing these because these are a lot of the brands you're going to hear the most. If you start yeah. if you start today listening to The Pit Attic with this episode and you start to dig into the back episodes, all the brands we're mentioning now are just the repeating themes mm-hmm. that you'll hear. So hopefully this gives you a good baseline of what we're talking about. I mean, saying that when we look at paper, two companies we've already mentioned a couple of times in this episode, Rodia and Leuchtturm. Uh, Leuchtturm yeah. 1917 is the mm-hmm. actual full name of the brand. These are the best products that you're going to be able to replace your moleskin with. Correct, correct. And then we'll also talk about a product called Tomoe River Paper, which isn't necessarily a brand, but more of a paper that other printers use, such as uh, Hobonichi, which we refer to a lot. That's one of the best calendar agenda planner companies out there. And they use a paper called Tomoe River Paper, which is very fountain pen friendly. It's a very unique design. So they come up a lot during the show, as do Midori and the Traveler's Notebook system. Mm -hmm. So these are hugely stationary friendly uh, notebooks, Midori and Travelers. You'll see them just all over Instagram, all over different... um, different, uh, different blogs and things like that. So, you know, the paper goods list could be could take up this entire show if we named off all the brands, you know, like my good friend Chad Doan at Doan Paper makes a wonderful paper. And like we could go on and on and on about all the awesome paper makers, right? And Story Supply and things like that. Um, you know, maybe that's a future paper only episode where we explore all the paper goods. But these are the brands you'll hear coming up a lot in our talks. And then we have inks as well. Yeah. So I made this little category as inks on as ink only right these are companies that generally just make ink not pens so robert oster is one of my favorite ink makers out of australia diamine out of the uk ackerman out of the netherlands uh, noodlers out of the u.s bungu box who makes uh in collaboration with sailor out of japan i think probably those brands are kind of ink is kind of like paper where we could make this list and it would be infinitely long right it would just keep going and going and going but as far as the conversation around these brands in the podcast these are the ones that come up the most Mm -hmm. because they're good like Mm -hmm. we talk about these products because they make interesting products and they've proven over time to be of a good quality so that's why these names make these very short lists is is for those very very good reasons i think yeah, Bungo Bucks are probably the outlier there because they yes. make customized pens, but ink is their business. And I also wanted to just make sure that we mentioned them because we do talk about them an awful lot on the show. Correct. And that's how we got it started talking about them was the ink in the yep. beginning. Yep. That was how so to know that does comes up a lot. Now, All right, Mike, you ready for are, some fun? There's some <laughs> themes and memes that occur on this show. There are pens and companies that we will refer to very frequently, um, sometimes seriously, sometimes as jokes. And it's probably worth knowing at least a handful of these frequently referred to terms. So we will start with three famous Kickstarters, two infamous, I would say, and one famous. Mm -hmm. The two infamous Kickstarters. One is called the Visionaire. Oh, Mike. So we don't have time to go into all the history of all these projects. These are these are basically individual epi- episodes 
themselves if we ever decide to recap all the drama that went on with these various projects. But The Visionaire was a pen that came out at a very strange time on Kickstarter where the pen, pen Kickstarter was a thing. And fountain pens were starting to become popular on Kickstarter. And then this project appeared out of the blue from no one had had any you know knowledge of before, which is okay. That's kind of what Kickstarter's for. But the problem with the Visionaire is it was this very basic looking pen. And they were charging a very reasonable price. I think it was less than $40 if I if memory serves. And by the time we got note of it, it had already crossed like a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand and went all the way up over three hundred thousand. And it was very quickly realized um by anyone who knew anything about fountain pens that, that this person had no idea what they were doing, right? So we found the pen was just a basic generic pen that they were essentially buying off of one of the Asian marketplaces like uh Alibaba or Rakuten or whatever. Um, their product videos were shown filling the pen with India ink, which is not compatible with fountain pens. It will not flow correctly. And then the marketing around it has prompted one of the most famous, uh, phrases or common, common sayings that we use in pen addict history is, uh, this pen was important enough to sign your wedding certificate with or mm-hmm. your birth certificate with mm-hmm. right so i got in touch at the time with the creator and we started talking because i was questioning like everything about this project and so there's several podcasts uh the first one we'll link is episode 64 where we first mentioned the visionaire and then there's several subsequent podcasts where i've talked to the creator of the project trying to understand what's going on and in the end um mike took one for the team and backed the visionaire so why don't you uh why don't you talk about the pen itself real quick i mean i have nothing to say it's the most basic fountain <laughs> pen it's it's you know it's a two dollar it's a two dollar fountain pen a that scam he's... it was not no. but it was not you know like the, there are scams on kickstarter as many scams oh we're getting to that one we're, we're going to talk about the one. most scammy scam of all time in a second but the vision air was just a very very basic product very very well marketed yes so when you hear us mention um would you sign your your would you sign your child's birth certificate with that it's referring back to this whole vision air debacle that really i mean just lined lined the uh lined the creator's pockets with basically a resell uh, of a fountain pen. So it was a, it was a travesty. Um, but it wasn't a scam, Mike. This next one was a scam. And the it's a scribble pen. pen. This was a pen it exploded onto the internet because the video is so good because what it promised is you could touch a sensor on the end of the pen onto any surface. It would replicate the color and you could start drawing with that color that there was like an ink mixing mechanism inside of the pen. It could mix the inks together for you and you could start writing. And believe it or not, this was a pen basically the size of a dry erase marker. <laughs> Absolute 100% fakery. Uh, we spent a lot of time on the show 
look because this pen kept coming back as well which is one of the mm-hmm. funny things about it it would launch onto different crowdfunding platforms it would launch under different names one of my very favorite things about the kickstarter platform is that all of this stuff remains so i will have links in the show notes you can go and look at the page even though they canceled the funding because mm-hmm. it exploded into and, and i really do think that <laughs> we were partly responsible in like exposing mm-hmm. this product for what it was mm-hmm. because it you know it became very bloggy you know very blog worthy to show this thing right because i was it involved was so in fun. a lot of articles around mm-hmm. discussing this and the visionaire before that but this one was like when we took a real stand on this pen because we knew it was a it was physically impossible to produce right mm-hmm. that like it could not be made in the guise that they were showing it but this pen kept coming back and the story kept getting weirder and weirder over time mm-hmm. Um, but this was one that was an, is just it's just fake. But you can go and watch yeah. the video, and it's still fun to see today. Uh, <laughs> but there is just no world in which this pen could be made right now. Yeah, I did get threatened with a lawsuit on this yep. one mm-hmm. um, that I posted on the blog. Um, so it was just it it continues to exist. Is this is a very much what is dead will never die thing? I mean, we're years and years on, and they continue to, to take people's money for pre orders and and never deliver anything and. I'm just shocked at the people who continue to believe that this product exists and will actually work as intended. And they've, they keep changing like what it is now. It's practically down to like, it's a color picker with an app type of thing now, but uh, man, what a mess that project was at the time. Um, All of the, like the product imagery was Photoshopped. Like it was just, it was just videos from head to toe. Yeah. Like and it was super fun over time to break down those videos frame by frame <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, then, and work out exactly what they were doing to fake them. <laughs> it was good times, the scribble pen. That one continues to live in infamy. The next one was infamous for a while and now has just become famous. Um, the CWNT pen type A, which was a pen that I fully supported and fully you know, loved and everything. But it turned into one of the biggest Kickstarter stories ever just because of the catastrophe catastrophe that the manufacturing process became and then which led into like all kinds of bad things happening and all kinds of I guess product theft and idea theft and things like that in the in the end like we all got our pens and it all shook out fine but it was one of the craziest wildest rides I've ever had on any Kickstarter project and in in the beginning and in the end, like I became friends with uh, Sayway and Taylor, who are CWT, and to this day, I'm, I continue to be friends with them and support all their projects. But at the time, this was like their first big Kickstarter, and it just ran amok. And talk about articles written about it. There's articles about this, like on big, you know, websites and blogs. So just about how, like, the madness of producing a Kickstarter project and all the things that can go wrong. Um, and in the end, they came out better for it in the end. But um, man, that's uh, that was a crazy project. And it, it continues to come up to this day. Um, and CWT does because they've they've made some really interesting products since then. But it's worth mentioning the pen type A if you're into this type of thing and want to research it. But we actually mentioned this, Mike. I had to go back and look it up. I was shocked when I saw this. We mentioned the pen type A in episode number two. I, I couldn't believe that when I looked it up. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Speaking of wild, another recurring theme. We're off the Kickstarters now, and we're just into some common themes that we talk about. Um, Do you want to describe this? The 
Chaos Pen is a collaboration between Montegrappa and Sylvester Stallone. Uh, Montegrappa are known for making some very, very, very expensive, tens of thousands of dollars worth of expensive pens uh, that are themed in some way. Mm -hmm. And the Chaos Pen is one of these. It's not really available anymore, uh, but comes up every now and again, I think. Mm -hmm. And it just is this pen, which is got full of snakes and skulls and Mm -hmm. like just wildness. But it's referenced because it's so crazy to see and is also so very, very expensive. Yeah, this is the first pen, wild pen, that I recall getting press outside of our normal Mm -hmm. sphere. Mm -hmm. And it was really because of the marketing of the pen with Sylvester Stallone being an internationally famous actor. Um past his prime and just doing this really there was i think there was a watch component to it like i think there was like a there's like a full brand thing going on with it but this pen has lived on throughout like every i think about every year a new media outlet would discover the pen and we'd get a new influx of articles about the chaos pen right and then we'd end up discussing it and then one day mike and i got to see this pen in person and i think our our opinions changed fully about this pen yeah we turned on it it was like oh no i know this isn't for me but i can totally see how it's for someone yep like because it it was just quite a sight to behold it's incredibly well made like as it should be for its price but it's easy to laugh at it because it Mm -hmm. is so absurd uh and then when you see it and you hold it it's like oh okay like yeah it's like i get it yeah i get it now but that was a really uh, a marketing story more than anything, which yep. is as proven by its its reemergence every year or two um, by someone discovering, oh my gosh, what happened mm-hmm. <laughs> back then. Um, speaking of marketing, I gotta say, Mike, we were we were the leaders of the bullet journal train. Uh, I'm I'm just gonna go ahead and take that now. I mean, I know writer Carol invented it, but we were on the bullet journal bandwagon way back in the day before it became hashtag Bujo, right? Yes. Uh, Basically, like the bullet journal, the idea of the bullet journal, the the original website that was created where it was just the system that Ryder had made, it made waves in our community and also the tech community, which we both kind of straddle because it was a really beautiful website. Yeah, the productivity community as a whole. Mm -hmm. So we, we, we interviewed uh writer in like 2013 mm-hmm. we had him on the show and then had him back when he launched a kickstarter campaign to create mm-hmm. a book and now like bullet journal, we had him back a third time when he released his book about it right mm-hmm. and and it was and these are three episodes that are super interesting because you get to hear someone who's going through this change this like transition you know writer like had an idea thought it was interesting to wow this is starting to catch on and and now i want to try and make a career out of this idea that i created because people seem to be so excited about it to the point where this has exploded and expanded way past me to the point that i've had to now like legally claim ownership of my idea again <laughs> and i don't endorse any of what's happening i have but i have my thing which is the core mm-hmm. part and it's yeah. super intriguing to watch him kind of go through this and it is one of these like successes that 
we do claim a little bit of, you know, a writer has said himself <laughs> joke, that like mostly. we we really did help get the word out for bullet journaling uh, when it began. So we also su- told him cool. which notebook to use. We did, yes. <laughs> we told him. So to he has a partnership with Lloyd's mm-hmm. Term now that has has turned out uh, hopefully pretty well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I like I'm like I'm just, I'm joking about taking credit, but I think. Ryder is one of the more interesting characters we've had on the show uh, repeatedly just because of exactly what you said. Listen to the three episodes that we did if you're a, a Bullet Journal fan, and I think it it tells a good story, just like Mike was alluding to. And uh, uh, again, I just I, I think what he's done is, is pretty amazing, and I just find it so interesting. Like, it's still like I could go back and listen to those episodes today. And then lastly, two companies that are referenced a lot because both me and Brad care about them greatly and we've formed collections over the years are Field Notes and Retro 51. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the um, they both started really early. I think Retro 51 might have been mentioned before Field Notes. I think you were early to the Retro 51 game just as, hey, this is a really good pen and I like this pen. And well, what is it recommended from you. Yeah, 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 and um, but I'm just saying, like, I that surprised me, um, when I was looking back at some of the mm. episodes, um, I thought Field Notes would have been just like the thing from the beginning, but they both kind of do the same thing, right? So, even though Field Notes has a subscription and Retro Fifty One doesn't, they both do something. They both do what they do very well. They have great marketing. They have great products, which they wouldn't be in business uh, if they didn't have great products and they were able to tell stories that we were able to latch on to you know whether it's a specific field note um limited edition release or a specific uh pattern or you know design on a retro 51 and they did it well and they did it frequently enough to where they became full-time topics on our show sometimes multiple episodes in a row they've certainly become uh popular enough that I would get emails saying you talk about them too much and like that I'm I'm okay with that it's because they're doing interesting things and we like the we like the products so um you will hear if this is your first Panatic podcast and if you go back and listen to the previous 399 you're going to hear field notes and retro 51 talk a lot and that's Maybe. not going to stop either. Well, there's going to be less Retro 51 talk over well, time because I the guess company's that one's closing down. Te- technically, that one's going to stop, but not yes. this year. It's not going to stop no. us from talking about them, right? That is it. All right, so. That is going to stop us from talking today. Yeah. We have we have completed the Pen Addict 101. The next episode, episode 401 of this show, is going to be Pen Addict 201, where we get into more detail on some pretty important elements uh, that you may want to also consume. So we're going to make this a two-parter because uh, when we started putting this together, we asked for uh, our audience, our wonderful pen addict audience, for some things that they think we should talk about and we could not get to them all in one episode. This is already one of the longer episodes of this podcast. Um, We feel like we maybe should split it up. So that is your introduction. Uh, thank you for, if you are, if this is new for you, The Pen Addict, thank you so much for choosing to listen to this show. And we hope that you enjoy any f- future episodes that you consume. But if, but there are also, you know, a lot of people that are listening to this today, the majority of people that will probably ever listen to this episode are people that have already been listening to the show for a long period of time. Many people from the beginning, many people from very early on, 
Um, thank you, thank you, always. You know, we say it all the time, especially as we cross each 50 episode barrier. Uh, but this, you know, this show is such a joy to put together and we can only do it because you listen. So thank you for supporting this show over its lifetime. Thank you for supporting our sponsors. Thank you for buying all the products that we make. Thank you for supporting our Kickstarter campaigns. We couldn't do this without you. If there was nobody listening, there wouldn't be a podcast to make. So we, you know, the, this community is one of the greatest communities I've ever had the pleasure of being a part of. And I've been a part of many communities over my podcasting career because I span so many different interests. This is so kind, so giving, so uh, wonderful and so thankful, this this community. And it's an absolute pleasure to be a part of. Um, but I will always thank at this moment Brad Dowdy. Brad puts in an absolutely immense amount of work into this show including this episode. Most of the time, I'm just showing up and I'm talking with him and then I edit and post it. Brad's the one who's like moving this show forward always. Um, and, you know, I couldn't do this without you. Plus, there would be no pen addict without the pen addict himself. So as we are finishing our 400th episode, uh, thank you, Brad Dowdy. Well, th- well, thank you, Mike. I am glad that Mike does all the editing <laughs> and all the posting and all the back end work because I hate all that stuff. So thank you, buddy, for doing for you're putting in uh, I'm putting in the the production work. You're putting in the uh, the technology technological work on the back end to make this show exist mm-hmm. to all of our amazing listeners. And it really is about the community we've built around all the things that we do. And we wouldn't be here without all of y'all listening and uh everything that mike said i i second it all completely so uh thanks to all of you and uh especially thanks to mike for being a wonderful friend for all of these years and uh i know we have a lot more years in front of us we most certainly do so that is episode 400 uh if you're listening to this in real time uh, keep an eye out for our kickstarter campaign we're days away from launching the kickstarter campaign for the 2020 uh, pen show circuit so keep your eye out for that uh, we'll be back next time thank you so much to warby parker and express vpn for the support of this show say goodbye brad goodbye brad 